Would you open God's precious holy word to 2 Samuel 9? We have been involved in wars, conspiracies, murders, all this stuff throughout the last several chapters, but this one takes a little, it gives us a little bit of a respite. Back over in around 1 Samuel uh, 20, somewhere along in there, David made a covenant before Yahweh with Jonathan. Jonathan, King Saul's son. Jonathan <clears throat> expressed his belief that it was the will of Yahweh for David to be the king. Therefore, Saul sooner or later would have to be removed from the throne. It was customary back in those days for the new king of a different household to slay all of the members of the household of the previous king, all the sons and daughters and everybody. That was never, of course, David's intent. However, Jonathan, to summarize and paraphrase, Jonathan had requested that David spare Saul's household. And David entered into a covenant before the Lord with Jonathan that a, an heir, the, the house of Jonathan would always have a place. We, uh, back in, way back in the day, we owned a, a second clothing store in Rainbow City. Rainbow, Rainbow Shopping Center, I forgot the name of that, Rainbow Plaza. And I think right next to it was this marvelous buffet called King's Table. And it was like a King's Table, I'll tell you. They had miles and miles of food that you could eat. I'm sure it pales in comparison to the King's Table that was set in David's day. David had covenanted with Jonathan that his descendants would always have a place at the king's table. So in a little aside, in a little human interest story, I guess you might say, we come to 2 Samuel 9 and we study how that promise was kept. I go back several, several weeks when we were still in 1 Samuel, and I will, I will reference 
how the people of Saul's household, his, his sons and, and so forth, they were dying. And we studied how it, it looked as though Yahweh was preparing the way, certainly, for David. And then, of course, the sons of Saul were slain on the battlefield where Saul himself fell on his sword in the epic battle against the Philistines. And I said that it, 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 it looked as though Yahweh had taken care of everything. But we should always consider the compassion and grace of God in all of the story of God's people. Before Yahweh, Yahweh's choice as king, David, before he was king, entered into this covenant with Jonathan that he would be sure that Jonathan's descendants were cared for. So now we come to this passage and it's, it's, it's like a story of grace. How grace intervenes and is, and is found in the midst of so much uh, legal activity and uh, war and, and death. So let's look at it in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 9. David's faithful love is declared. Now there's a type here that I want us to look at when we get to the end of the, this chapter. And I want to reflect on about four things. And David said, now let's think about it. The land has peace. David is doing all he can do in a project that he has put together to prepare for the building of the temple. He doesn't get to do it. Solomon does it. But we saw how these conquered nations were paying tribute to David, the king, Israel, the nation. And we saw that this, this money was being channeled over to the house of Yahweh. So it's, it's this tremendous fund that's being set aside so that when Solomon becomes king, money will be no issue for him. He'll, he'll get the finest of everything, the finest of wood, the finest gold and silver, and the finest craftsmen to build the house of Yahweh, the temple of Yahweh. So it's at that time, perhaps David is having someone to read the chronicles to him, a scribe perhaps reading things. We saw last time how David had appointed one to be, and we, the, trans, the word from the Hebrew was translated like recorder. And it was someone to keep David focused on issues and promises that he had made with these other nations, like a secretary of state. And perhaps in all of that, David is somehow reminded in his heart of a promise that he had made. Although it seemed that the last son of Saul was slain and that Saul's household was gone. It seemed that way. And then the one who was forced 
onto the throne, was murdered by his own uh, chief of staff of, of the, of the uh, military. But David is thinking of everything that has brought him to where he is. He asks the question, is there anyone left in the house of Saul that I may do kindness to him for the sake of Jonathan? Remember, Jonathan had pretty much saved David's life back in the day when Saul was seeking David to kill him. Jonathan became such a close friend. So his, his mind is going back to the events of his life that have brought him. He is the king of what we, we, you know, there was no name. We already read it in previous chapters. David had had the greatest name among the nations. He was undefeated. No one could defeat the army of David. He had extended the borders and those many nations he had defeated were paying tribute into his uh, administration, into his kingdom. The land is at peace. The people are prosperous. They're at work. And it was, it was to this point, the highest moment, the highest time in the history of the Israelites. David says, one thing is still not settled. I have, I have covenanted with the best friend I've ever had who saved my life to take care in the best way I could the house of Saul. That's unusual because Saul was just vicious and, and just mean toward David all those years. But David had made a promise. And this is the kind of man David was. And so it seemed to gnaw on him that there seemed to be something left undone. Someone in the house of Saul that I may do kindness for him, to him for the sake of Jonathan. Now, Ziba, his servant, one of the men of his court, points out the fact that Jonathan has a son who still lives. And to the house of Saul, there remained a servant whose name was Ziba. They called him to David. And the king said to him, are you Ziba? He said, your servant is he. The king said, is there none left from the house of Saul that I may do to him the kindness of Elohim? Ziba said to the king, there is still a son left to Jonathan who is lame on his feet. Now, I told you back when we first encountered the name and the character of, of Mephibosheth that, that his nursemaid was escaping with this child, this baby, this child because the Philistines were hard upon the defeat of Saul. And you may remember they mistreated the body of King Saul and all of his sons were dead. So she, took, she knew they would come after this child and 
So she, she goes out. If you remember the story, we've been through it. And in escaping, she had an accident, maybe jumped from too high of a wall or whatever. It's not really described. But in the accident, the baby's legs, his feet were crushed. He just never, never, he was lame the rest of his life. The king said, is there none left in the house of Saul? Ziba said, still a son left to Jonathan who is lame on his feet. And the king said to him, where is he? Ziba said to the king, behold, he's in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel in Lodabar. So the king makes his move and Mephibosheth receives the promise of the king. King David sent and he fetched him out of the house of Machir, the son of Amiel from Lodabar. And Mephibosheth said, uh, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David and he fell on his face and he prostrated himself. David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, behold, your servant. And David said to him, don't be afraid. Now, you got to think about it. Mephibosheth's grandfather was cruel in his pursuit of David. He, he ruthlessly killed people who innocently fed David or, or David would pass, pass by their presence and they said, yeah, he was here, I gave him. They, they innocently did something and the king would cruel, even the priests you may remember, would Saul cruelly kill those people? And now David is the king who has run his personal sword through others who came before him that he knew must receive the justice of the king. So David was no small soft touch here. You can imagine what's going through the mind of Mephibosheth. David says, don't be afraid. I will surely show you kindness for the sake of Jonathan, your father. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father. And you shall eat bread at my table continually. And he bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should turn towards such a dead dog as me. Helpless, meaningless, nothing. I have nothing. I can be nothing. I, I'm, I'm so disabled. And he asks, he asks a valid question. How is it that this can happen to me? Now you have to believe that it doesn't say in this record here, but you have to believe that somehow David would have read from the Chronicles of, of his plight and then his reign as king, surely would have had read to Mephibosheth the, the debt of the covenant. 
that he owed and probably would have told him everything that Jonathan, his father, he did. He wouldn't have known his father. He was very young when his father died on that battlefield and the nursemaid took him away. So surely he told him the account of how all of this comes about. Ziba now provides for the son of Jonathan. And the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, all that belonged to Saul, and that was a lot, and to his household, I have given to your master's son. And you shall till the soil for him, you and your sons and your servants. And these would be those who were loyal to the household of Saul, right? So that there your master's son will have bread that he may eat it. And Mephibosheth, your son, your master's son shall eat bread continually at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. So he's not only providing for Mephibosheth, he's also providing for these servants who were loyal to Saul, but David is extending an unusual kindness in restoring the household and letting the servants resume their service, even though quite some time has passed. And Ziba said to the king, according to all that my Lord, Adon, or Adonai, my Lord, the king commands his servant so shall your servant do as for Mephibosheth. He shall eat at my table as one of the king's sons. He will sit with my sons at my table and eat every time they eat, eat the food they eat, and he will enjoy the same life that they will enjoy. So David doesn't just talk it. He walks it as well. He demonstrates his love. And Mephibosheth had a small son whose name was Micha. And all the inhabitants of Ziba's house were servants to Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem for he ate continually at the king's table. And he was lame on both his feet. David is, the, David is the man who is after, he is in pursuit of God's heart. In a, in a broken human kind of way, David seeks to reflect the oversight, the love, the compassion of God. Of course, as the king, he of course saw himself as the shepherd of the people. This is why he is so compassionate toward the people and he's so careful to make sure that uh, the people are cared for. It doesn't matter who they were or, or, or what they may have done in the past or where their loyalties may have, have been in the past. They are now part of his kingdom. And regardless of who they are, he's going to take care of them. This takes me then to reflect upon how this can be applied to the Christian life. There's, there are parallels here, but I have four of them. 
Mephibosheth was helplessly impaired. He could not do a thing for himself. He called himself a dog. His, his disability in that culture, in that day, was so severe that he couldn't take care of himself. He had to have others to care for him. And up until the time of King David, of course, he did the best he could with the servant who was still left from Saul's household. But you can imagine the impossibility, the helplessness. There is no way that Mephibosheth could save himself. Likewise, here we are before the perfect, true, living God, broken and fallen in our nature Unable to escape our fallen nature unless there is divine intervention and sovereign grace falls upon us. And God then calls us graciously and brings us out of our absolute helplessness to come to his side. And all who he is is joined with who I am so that my impairment doesn't matter anymore because He's taken care of me. He was, he was physically crippled as well. He could do no work after he was called to the king's table. Still, he could do no work to contribute to the kingdom. There's nothing he could do. He couldn't save himself and he couldn't keep himself saved once he was saved. Still dependent Upon the great king who graciously had moved by a covenant that he had made to take care of Mephibosheth. Didn't matter who he was, how he was. This was an obligation that by covenant the king had made with the one whom he had saved. Now, Mephibosheth didn't know King David personally. He did not know him in the way that Jonathan knew him. But by covenant, the chesed, the, the, the word is used in, back in 1 Samuel, what, 20 or so, where he was talking about, about his love toward Jonathan. Chesed, the word which means covenant love. Once David entered into this covenant with Jonathan, nothing, nothing could break it. That was it. It was covenant love. Now, sometimes in translations, that Hebrew word is translated loving kindness or, or mercy or something. But it's a much stronger word than that. It means, it means a love that is brought forth through and because of a covenant that has been made that comes from the covenant maker himself. And he assumes absolute and total responsibility to fulfill the covenant. And there is no responsibility on the one who receives the benefits of the covenant. Well, how much is that like me? I can't save myself. I can't keep myself saved. I'm, I'm impaired and I'm crippled. And I'm nothing. I'm like Mephibosheth. I'm a dog. What am I that you would... Call me into your salvation, that you would bring me to your table, just like the life of Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was shown kindness 
because of the promise of the king. He was not there when the promise was made. We're taught in the Bible that the father entered into an eternal covenant with the son before the foundation of the world. Thankfully, because he has called me into faith and given me the gift of faith and repentance and confession, I can know now that I was part of that. Mephibosheth didn't know that, but now he knows he was part of a covenant that was made before he ever was. And the kindness that came to him was not because of anything that Mephibosheth had done, but it was because of the promise that the king had made. Finally, Mephibosheth enjoyed protection and provision because of the king. He was secure in the household of the king. By the word and promise of the king, no one would ever harm Mephibosheth. No one ever would. This was the mightiest king in the world at that point in time, in that part of the world, who had the mightiest army. None would dare attempt a breach of the household of the king. The lame man Mephibosheth acknowledged his helplessness and his disability. He couldn't do anything to keep himself secure. He was totally and absolutely dependent upon the power of the king. And this is how I am in Christ. Christ in me. Holy Spirit of God in me. Placed in my life. In my heart. And I seek to wear the whole armor of God and I am not the one, I am not the one who hammered out that armor. It is hammered out by the Holy Spirit of God and, and I'm totally dependent upon the one who gives it to me, who places it on me, who makes it available to me. Mephibosheth had absolute protection And provision because of one reason. The king. The word of the king. The king sought him. He didn't seek the king. The king sought him. Paul writes to the Romans, no man seeks after God. First John, John writes, we love God not because we first loved him, but because he first loved us. He is the seeker and his own are the ones who are sought, irrevocably sought. David would seek those with whom he had made a covenant, even though they didn't know about the covenant until David brought them to, until David brought him to himself and how this covenant would be extended to all. The blessings and benefits of the salvation that is ours because of our great king. Well, I'm going to stop there and we'll have our deacon prayer time.